Due to a technical issue with the mics, we've had to use the Zoom audio as our source for the presenters. However, we thought this episode was just too good to miss. So please sit back and enjoy this chat with Team GB event rider, Justine Dutton. Along the way, obviously, like you mentioned, was your fall that you had. My brain hit the back of my eyes so hard that it basically obliterated the optic nerve. I mean, the fall itself was, I mean, I probably should be dead. I mean, luckily, if the horse had landed on me, like a couple inches further another way I would have been um this episode is sponsored by Half Step Equestrian. Sweatproof, durable, and made from the highest quality materials. This is a base layer you don't want to miss. Get yours for the exclusive launch price of $59.99 and start feeling confident in your athletic attire. And keep an eye out for the special deals and promotions only available on our website and social media feeds. Halfstepequestrian.com. Lovely. Welcome back to the Only Tools and Horses podcast. Here, we are joined with a special, special guest. Josh, I'll allow you to do this. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure whether to refer to you as my aunt or cousin. So I call you my aunt, you call me your cousin. So hey, I'm not your aunt, I'm your cousin. <laughs> I was going to say, for anyone just listening, they'd be very confused about uh, <laughs> the structure of that sentence. Yeah. Um, so no, thank you so much. So yeah, we've got Justine Dutton here today with us. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, basically, uh, like first things first is how how did you end up starting? Like how did you get into riding? Because you came from non horsey background, really, didn't you? So yeah, it was actually uh, your mum and your grandma, I guess, that got me into riding initially. Um, I would go up and uh, just to the stables at their place in the summer and ride, and they kind of got me into it from there. And then I uh, then uh, your grandma loaned me a pony, which actually was. Your pony for a while, wasn't it? Well, Did lucky, you have Lucky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have Lucky. I didn't have Lucky. But um, I think he, like, died when I was really young. But obviously, I hear all the stories about him and everything. But, yeah, no, I I never got to ride him. I had Toby, but I don't know if Toby was there when, when you were there. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember Toby. He yeah, was the miserable yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd done three <laughs> generations of the family. My nan, my mum, and myself. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of ponies yeah, right definitely through. Made yeah, exactly. yeah amazing so just in you're you're in america at the moment whereabouts yes. in america florida so it's a lot hotter than <laughs> what it is here right now what's the weather over there uh 80 degrees and sunny <sighs> yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah it's, a bit, it's a bit too hot you know the hot well the horses are sweating and we're sweating and it's just yeah it's hot it's <laughs> so been summer you were originally like from from May. the UK, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was what, in what uh, made the Worthing. Well, oh, Worthing! Well, so you under, completely understand the weather that we're having right now, <laughs> going into December. It's horrible. Yeah, why do you think I left? <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings me on to my first question: Why did you emigrate to America? Other than the weather. <laughs> Other than the weather, I would go just happily for the weather. Yeah. Um, I just got offered some kind of job opportunities out here. I actually started in Canada and, um, kind of worked there. I just wanted to do something different, you know, and, uh, and then I ended up in the US and kind of worked out here. My initial plan wasn't necessarily to stay, but I ended up liking it so much that I kind of applied for a green card and ended up staying. Wow. Never looked back. No, because yeah, you made yeah. such a big step as well, literally going out there by yourself. No one else yeah. you knew. That's crazy. That's yeah. 
Uh, obviously, for me, it's a lot easier when I came over. I was like, I've got you to pick me up from the airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was definitely a uh, learning experience, that's for sure. Because <laughs> I was young. I came out when I was like 19, 20. So, you know, I came out not really knowing much and just had to kind of pave my own way a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it all worked out well. Yeah, literally. Um, like obviously, I came out to you what six yep. six years ago now. And was like, it that long? Yes, yeah, six years ago. It's crazy how quickly that's gone. And then I was I, I was the first first one from the family to watch you compete, wasn't I? That was Red Red Hills, wasn't it? Red, Red Hills. Hills. You yeah. were you walked the course and you were <laughs> shitting yourself. <laughs> I was so scared. I've never been so scared in my life. Oh, it was awful. I've never been so nervous either. I hated every moment. Really? It was so bad. It was so bad. I remember walking the, ju- uh, the walk in the course and being like, you've got to jump that somehow. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, Absolutely. yeah, to be fair. So Josh has shown me some of the um, like the clips of you riding and trying yeah. to, to um, put it in simple terms for a non-rider about how high these, these uh, what would you call them, fences are that you jump over? And he's like, yeah, right. Well, I- coming. I used to do the eventing. So when Josh came, it was the cross country and the cross country was a bit over four feet high, but uh, it was more kind of wide, like big wide tables and big drops, like as tall as Josh into the water and skinnies and gates and hedges and all that kind of stuff. But uh, now I just show jump. And I mean, that's actually a lot bigger, but the jumps fall down. So I, I show jump at like a meter 40, 45 um so yeah that's pretty tall <laughs> and you also, yes. you also did the um bareback quiz on uh quiz on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I did a bear that was mental so that's no saddle and like how big was that you got so I high think it went up to five foot eleven no with, saddle. No saddle. Yeah, no saddle. with no saddle you're crazy <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, I won a thousand dollars. To be fair, if a, if, a, if a gram was on the line, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really kind of I needed that at that point. So, I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so then how how did you find it? Obviously, you went to Canada and then end up moving to America, and then obviously yep. end up setting up setting up what you've now established. How yep. was that whole process? Was it even, because obviously you had a little bit of time in the equestrian industry over here in the UK. Was it easier yes. in America or what, how, how was it different? It's probably, honestly, it's a lot less structured. <laughs> like in the UK, everyone goes through Pony Club and BHS and it's very much, you know, you can't go to riding schools and such without being kind of registered or having BHS affiliation and such. Whereas here, Literally, like, anyone could set up shop and call themselves a horse trainer. Not saying that's what I did or wanted to do, but that certainly made it easier. You don't have to kind of jump through any hoops to sort of do it. Um, So, I mean, I'd say that's a big difference. Um, And I guess there's just so many, maybe more trainers and riders and such in the UK. Um, It's been a lot easier to make a business out here. Everything's also a lot cheaper out here too. Do you find um, the people and their attitudes in America are slightly different to the UK? One of the um, consistent things that I'm slowly learning about the industry, especially over in the UK, is almost a very elitist industry. 
Um, it's not yeah. very inclusive. Um, what's the people's approach towards the equestrian industry in the States? I think it's probably, in that respect, not much different. I think people on the outside looking in, probably it could come across as that way. But I think uh, most people, I mean, most people I know are not like that, but there is certainly that level of people on the very upper tier that would very much come across that way. Um, but I mean, most people I know try and be inclusive and it's not kind of perceived as elitist, but like I said, from the outside, I could see how it would look that way. I mean, it's not it's funny. the easiest industry to get into, I don't think. No, it's funny you say that as well, because obviously you talk about the structure, that there's not much structure out in America. But if you compare the way you're looked after at competitions, I remember going to Red Hills and being absolutely gobsmacked. Like, you've got a like, quad bike after you finish waiting for you to get you back to the stable. I was crazy. And you're over here and you're like, yeah, you're lucky if you've got a burger fan on site sort of thing. To be fair, Red Hills is a pretty good one. I like, I took you to one of the top ones. They're not all like that. (laughs) But, I mean, a lot of the shows are. I Mm. mean, yeah, but a lot of the shows like Tryon, like Tryon has its own like on-site restaurants and shops and, I mean, it's beautiful. And um, trying to think where else. Like lots of other places kind of have all kinds of, you know, great food options and whatnot just trying to get spectators in it's been a bit different this year but um but there's also your kind of backyard ones as well which you would have your like your burger van or whatever and yeah of course. so again like comparing it back to the uk would you say you get a lot more spectators out there as well is it because from the videos no. that i see no? no no i've read again red hills red hills is like very much a different one Right, and okay. I'm just using that because you came, so you saw. Yeah, it. yeah, of course, good example. Red Hills, it's like uh, the whole, that whole city. It's their kind of thing, so they all go horsey people or not. Whereas you know, you get a lot of people going to like the big, big shows, like Kentucky or whatever. But for the most part, there's a lot more spectators in the UK. I think it's more part of the culture in the UK too. Um, you know. Most people have a clue about horses in the UK, even if you don't. Like, you have more clue about Americans that don't know anything about horses. Uh, Do you know what? The irony sits in there, my response in that, and it's like, I'll uh, I'll, I'll categorise it. I know nothing, so there we go. (laughs) (laughs) I can can hold the flag for the UK and the States for those people. (laughs) Just, it's the competition. much different between the states and um, like so from what i believe here it's quite difficult to get into this industry. i mean i feel like it's quite universal it's difficult to get into the industry you've got to go through what i believe is pony club or have to be brought yeah. into a family that have grown up around horses what is it like for people getting into that industry in america is it is there any difference to that no, I think competition it's- I think it's the same. Like, I think, again, if you're kind of born into a family or you come from money, it's obviously a lot easier. Um, I think, you know, I think maybe you can work your way up a little easier in the UK, perhaps, than here. Um, But, and you know, in the UK, there's so many more kind of riders, I think, and so many well-known riders. And then you're so close to Europe as well. So you could, you know, 
easily apply to go and work for one of them as a working student or whatever. Um, and it's the same here, but, you know, a lot of the big riders actually charge people to come and be working students for them, which no I don't way. really get. Out, yeah. in the, out in the States? That's yeah. crazy. So basically you're paying to go and experience being on a, on a top yeah. international rider's yard. That's mental. paying to work, essentially. Like, I know... I know some top professionals will do that. Like, or you'll go and you can maybe get your keep your horse there, but that's it. You you don't get paid. You don't get anything. So you're working for free or paying yeah, to work. Well, working for the education and lessons, right. but you know, again, sometimes you have to pay for that experience, which I always found bizarre. But yeah, I find it's very. You have to put it down to like the questionable side of the moral behind yep. it is you can understand people going right i need to invest especially financially for myself i need to open myself up to the opportunities to better my knowledge but at the same time yes. that sounds very much like a money-making scheme at top level where you've gone right well i've got a standing in society let me exploit that to the highest level that i can have people that don't yep. have the ability that i have and just take their fucking money because that does not make any sense for someone that's trying to get into it. What do they achieve yeah. to get out of that other than debt, <laughs> potentially? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is that would sort of be more aimed for people with money that could do it. But again, that therefore that sort of cuts off the kids that want to go there and work but have to financially support themselves too. And if they're not getting paid, that's- then that's impossible. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's normally that tier, probably the next generation of rider is the one that wants to work hard and probably doesn't have the financial backing of, say, someone that's got mum and dad supporting them and yeah. providing as much like sort of... And that's just a matter of sort of finding the right people to work mm. for that, you know, you can build opportunities with, you know. <laughs> You're really wrestling with it. Don't fuck <laughs> down, that's it. You're done. He's gone now. <laughs> He's just run off now. <laughs> Donald she's, giving she's giving me side eye on the way <laughs> you can have cuddles after so. <laughs> it's, it's not happening <laughs> was it difficult um, yeah. establishing yourself as a Brit in America no not really because it's sort of a novelty <laughs> like yeah. everyone loves an accent and you know <laughs> It's easy, no, not easy, but you know, everyone. It's a, it's a novelty. People are like, oh, it's the token Brit, you know. <laughs> They've got an accent, you know. So I actually see that as a big plus. So, did the, do you think that worked in your favour then? Yes, yeah, so definitely. If you compared it to maybe trying to make a career in the UK, was it easier being in America or harder? Do you think? Oh, easier, as in everything's cheaper out here. Like, yeah. So I wouldn't have been able to do this, what I do now in the UK. And there's more competition. I think the standard is so much higher in the UK at all levels. So there would probably be like 50 of me in the kind of immediate area as opposed to like 10 of me over here sort of thing, if that makes sense. Um, and also the UK is such a smaller country. Everyone's so concentrated in small areas. So it's easy to kind of, you know, be in competition with someone 10 miles down the road, whereas the US is such a big country. 
you know, you might not have such a large concentration of professionals in one area. Going back to a point that you, you mentioned about pricing that is a lot cheaper and very different to the UK. For someone that doesn't really understand, um, I've only just sort of understood the level of what it takes to one feed and keep a horse alive on a weekly basis, let alone how what the purchase is and then there's the commission yeah. rates for people with involved. Yeah. What what is the comparison? Just give me a few examples what it would be to the UK to America. I'm probably going to be wrong now because you're going to tell me that it is more. <laughs> it's um, okay. We've got a big TV screen with all the facts on it. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. What do you pay for hay? Actually, hay in Florida is a poor example because hay in Florida is really expensive. But uh, up in really expensive, you- really expensive over here this year because we have like a shortage because it's so dry. So we've got a real shortage at the moment. So like is so expensive i think for like a big round bale as such like 50 pounds now what do you pay for just like a normal 50 pound square bale sort of you know just your normal two string sort of two string uh i don't I wouldn't even know maybe like eight pounds okay well that is expensive in pennsylvania when i lived there um we were paying maybe like five to eight dollars a bale which was would be I don't know, uh, three to five pounds perhaps. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. so yeah. So I guess like it's difficult this year because we've had a shortage, but. Yeah, but in Florida, it's much more expensive, but because it's, they don't really, they don't grow it down here. Of course, of course, I just traveled over, of course. Well, we get it. It comes from Pennsylvania or Canada, but we end up paying a minimum $12 a bale at a minimum for wow. a small bale that's yeah. crazy so now i feel yeah. ripped off from pets at home because i used to have rabbits and i used to pay like six pound 99 for a small medium pack <laughs> now i'm thinking you know what i've been going to the wrong suppliers so i've got an issue that's where you needed that's so. where you needed horse friends you could just go <laughs> exactly you literally just see it says me yard and like take a flake of their hay and be like i'm borrowing this i can almost say it now josh someone's been in the yard again and be like yeah mate, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, the rabbits were too expensive. (laughs) But then again, you run horses, so I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, but you've got French French bulldogs now. You're in for a... Well, the French bulldogs aren't mine. They are the missus. She's literally just picked them up. And they're, like I say, they're only, what, like nine weeks old. And she does... They're they're like her babies. They're they're very well looked after and mothered. I sort of come in and like, ah, kids, how are we? I'm off. (laughs) Pick them up and down. But they sleep. They sleep all the time, which is amazing. (laughs) Just when you went out to America, um, yeah, were you planning to get into eventing? What did you have a plan, or was it just just, (laughs) like did you just go one day? I just why not sort of thing. Yeah, when I went, well, I went to Canada first, and I literally uh, was living in London and working in London, and I'd ridden as a kid like pretty seriously, and then I stopped when I was. 16 and then I was got to 18 and I've been working in London and was like yeah I kind of want to go back to horses and I could literally found a job on the internet and called up a friend and was like hey you want to go to Canada and she's like yeah why not so we went out there and you know then after a year I think it was or six months maybe uh we came back because we had to um for visas and such and uh she stayed in England but I went back and then I ended up getting a job in the US and sort of moving down there. And then 
the rest is history. But yeah, I, I mean, I was into the eventing kind of, once I was in Canada, I kind of did a bit of everything, but um, I sort of got more into that. And then I worked on a couple of eventing yards in the US. So I kind of specialized in that then. How did you find it working on the yards out in the US? Was it different to over here or? Uh, I mean, it wasn't as wet. Nice to ride it. Yeah, not really. I mean, horses are horses at the end of the day. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, it doesn't change too much from yard to yard. And people really. are people, you know? Like, yeah. it depends who you work for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you get many opportunities or... Did they yeah. help you yeah, along the yeah. way or was it like, yeah? No, I worked at a sales barn um, and, you know, she would, you know, give me a lot of the sales horses to ride. And um, so I get to compete them. And I'd also, this was when I was very young, but uh, I'd also get to see kind of the inside of like, you know, behind the scenes of how she sold horses and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I sort of learned from that. Um and then I worked at uh, another uh, kind of boarding place, training place. And again, I learned different things. I took away different things from different places. So ultimately, I was ready to kind of start out on my own when I was ready. And at, after that, I was kind of ready. And uh, I think I was maybe 24 when I sort of started out on my own. And, you know, just started small with, I think I had like a four stool for still barn that uh kind of had a couple clients in and just sort of kept building and you know you know what it's like you just got to keep trying and yeah. keep trying to get people interested and just keep trying to be relevant and you know that's all you can do really yeah you know, exactly. if you don't if you don't come from you know big money behind you you've got to figure out other ways to make it happen exactly and I think it's quite good uh, for a lot of people to hear that because we have a lot of sort of like questions or I do anyway about can you make it if you don't have the financial back of your parents like if you haven't got the money from do you mm -hmm. need horsey parents and all these questions and really you're sort of like a perfect role model for that because yeah. you you just went it's and interesting your own opportunity it's interesting I for up, me to I showed up in the US for hundred dollars hundred dollars yep wow uh, so yeah, I worked for somewhere to live and I, I mean, I didn't have any debt or anything at that point, but, uh, you know, I worked for I somewhere now. to live, <laughs> more, yeah, <laughs> more salary and, you know, you just get to know more and more people along the way and eventually someone kind of offers opportunity, you know. Well, can you remember the moment that, or was there a moment that you felt that having made that risk and that jump and grafting as hard as you have where you went it's looking up like things are was there a moment where you went actually this was the right decision uh i wouldn't say there was a moment um i don't think i ever thought it was the wrong decision honestly i never ever regretted going ever not once so um but you know again with the horse industry you have that moment and then next day your horse is lame for six months and <laughs> you're back at the bottom of the pile again <laughs> uh, so yeah I wouldn't say there was like a specific like light bulb oh my god this happened I'm gonna make it now but it's just kind of chipping away almost you know so Garaza, make it well what is like your proudest achievement where has your career led to that 
is a standard to recognize. I mean, you know, at this point in my life, you know, I, I vented and uh, I actually managed to ride on the Nations Cup team for the UK twice in eventing. Um, I rode up, evented through Advanced and Four Star and had some good results. Um, after I had my bad fall, uh, two, two years, three years ago, I kind of wanted, decided to focus on show jumping a bit more. And um, I'd built a fairly successful sales business at that point with my connections in the UK. I would import horses via my connections in the UK and kind of was quite good at producing them and selling them in the US um, to amateurs and juniors. Um, so with that, and then I just decided I wanted to just show jump. And now I have, you know, a farm in Florida with my other half and we have uh five jumpers right now and the rest sail horses and training horses and you know i'm really lucky in my life now i can pick and choose what i want to ride i don't have to ride the crap anymore you know all the dangerous ones and um i can teach who i want to teach you know i don't have to put up with clients in the barn like we're in a really good position now that we can sort of yeah pick and choose and do what we want a bit so i suppose that would mean i'm I would be very happy where I am at in my life currently. <laughs> but it's been a real, like obviously being family, obviously I, I know a lot more than most people, but it's been a real <laughs> journey for you along the way. So obviously I, 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 there's so much more to it that I sort of yeah. know. Um, but I guess along the way, obviously, like you mentioned, was your fall that you had. Firstly, yeah. obviously. For us as family, it was so hard when that happened because obviously you don't have family out there. Um, no. No, so not blood family anyway. No, exactly, exactly. So um, I remember like my nan panicking, bless her, the whole time. Obviously, when we when we were hearing what had happened and everything, and being in a position where we couldn't come see you, but right, obviously there was a lot to that um, for you. And the knock-on effect was that you stopped eventing and you went into show jumping. Yeah, that was must have been a really difficult time for you. It was. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, the fall itself was. I mean, I probably should be dead i mean luckily if the horse had landed on me like a couple inches further another way i would have been um but um yeah and i had some pretty severe injuries and then lost the eyesight in my right eye um because of yeah because of like major head damage and my brain hit the back of my eyes so hard that it basically obliterated the optic nerve um so that was how did that fall? I'm trying to imagine that. How how did that fall happen? I was. It was actually at the Nations Cup, live on TV, around the country, around the world, like on live stream. I was the first one out on course. So it was quite a public <laughs> thing. And then the horse uh, just flipped over going into the water, like into the drop into the water, like flipped over and like did a somersault and landed on me. In the water. So you like landed the horse on top of you and then flipped. Yep. Yeah. He flipped and then landed on me. Yeah. So it was probably good it was in the water. So it, I suppose, like took some of the impact. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So yeah, that was rough. I mean, you know, especially the eyesight thing. But I mean, I'm totally used to it now. But, you know, initially when you're in the hospital and you're like, I was in the hospital and like, I was like, I can't see and the doctors oh it's fine it's normal and like we had to like fight to even see her 
eye specialist and which and he didn't really give us anything conclusive when we went to like the top eye specialist who we happened to know through friends and that's when he was like did proper tests and was like yeah you're screwed (laughs) basically (laughs) like it wasn't gonna get better so that was sort of hard to hear you know but yeah but it could just like be gone in an instant and and there's nothing you can do you know I'm always someone that is like there's a solution to everything but it was like well no you're not going to fix that (laughs) <laughs> but, so it was a, a changing moment really wasn't it yeah um, it really was yeah and, and uh, it could have been life changing in positive or negative ways really and i guess really you're like how you've taken it is you've flipped what was probably one of the biggest moments in your life and now <laughs> now three years down the line like you say it's the the most well from the, from the family outlook it's the most secure been in one spot obviously settled down with yeah. chris now yeah, and exactly. Look, obviously, I know everything's not as we know. There's so much more behind it, but for yeah. you, it's like the happiest you've like been, and it looks amazing yeah. from outside. Of course, with the, yeah, very easy for it too. But um, from that point yeah. of view, it's so nice to see that transition in that short period of time to, to where you are right. now. But um, yeah. how how do you look back on that fall now? It, it, is there almost that trauma to it still, or have you been able to look at it in a different light and go, you know what? Because obviously, I had my bad fall what yeah. six, seven five years ago now where i had uh right. yeah again smacked my head and had like three seizures and stopped breathing and stuff and then again like my eyesight as well was affected and i had i mean does it run in the family or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't feel like i want to be put of train by by you guys like, <laughs> i'm not going on a horse with your like supervision like, that's for sure like, i feel like that is just a kid um, so yeah and I, obviously for me at the time like you said it's so scary because, like yeah. you said, it's not really a solution. Whereas, especially with horses, I think maybe that's why we look at it. Is because with horses, you're always working. There's always setbacks, but you always find a way of working. But then there's something completely yeah. taken out of your hands. That now yeah. I'm in a position where I can go. Actually, you know what? I'm glad that happened because it's allowed me to do certain things. How how is your perception changed from like now looking back, or or is it still? Yeah, hard? I'd say. I'd say yes. It it caused a lot of things to fall into motion that have helped me become what I am and what I have today you know like it made me and I honestly never loved the cross country at that level there's people out there that just love doing it and it's their favorite thing in the world and I just didn't and at that and after that I evented for another year on um my young horse and was really successful but I, I was spent the whole time forcing myself to want to do it like I was like why can't you want to do it like all these other people do um and ultimately it came to the point where I was like you know I'd cry before going out on course every time like and I'm like why am I doing this like but it's you know what it's like it would be like if you know you were like okay I'm not going to do dressage anymore I'm gonna go and do show jumping like it would be hard trust me but it would be hard to like yeah no completely jump into that industry right yeah. like it's yeah, still yeah. within the industry but it's still like a different sport yeah. so you know luckily I'd show dumped a little bit on the side and I always enjoyed it and but you're quite talented yeah. you're always quite talented at, at it I remember yeah. obviously watching you at Red Hill so it was all it yeah. was in a way one of your biggest assets so well and I always enjoyed the show jumping the most yeah. and was the best at it out yeah. of the three phases really so I was like okay well so I just sort of started on that journey a bit and 
you know, again, it wasn't like starting again by any means because my horses were good jumpers and what, but I did have to sort of sell the event horses and buy the jumpers and, you know, sort of just transition over and, you know, meet people through people and kind of start going to the shows and getting to know people. And, you know, it went from being someone in the eventing world that everyone knew to stepping into the jumper world where who nobody knew. (laughs) Was that quite nice or scary going from like, almost because there's an element of pressure when everyone knows you and an expectation. Whereas now it's almost like sometimes it's nice to almost have a fresh start. Was it, how did you uh, find it? I don't know. It was like, I was a little unsure initially because you go to the shows and not know anyone. Whereas before you, you know, be able to chat to everyone and know everyone. Mm. And so from that perspective, it was sort of like, you felt a little, not alone because I have people with me, but you know, just not a part of it yet. But now I've met so many people and everyone's great and, you know, I have a part of it. Um, And I guess, yeah, I guess there's just, there's a lot less pressure and that it's a new thing, you know, I'll go in the Grand Prix and there's not pressure to win because I'm not quite at that point yet, you know, but I put pressure on myself to do well. And, you know, we've gotten good horses so I can give myself the best chance and the best opportunity to learn and do well. We've got you covered here at Half Step Equestrian. High quality athletic clothing that you can rely on. This top really does it all. Durable, sweatproof, and an added bonus of cool. Get yours now from the exclusive launch price of $59.99 at halfstepequestrian.com. So where, where do you see yourself going with the jumping? Is like, have you set yourself on this? Where, where are you taking the show jumping now? Um, I mean, I haven't set any like goals in like, I want to go to the Olympics, I want to do this or that. Um, so... I, I mean, you know, I'm jumping at the Grand Prix level now and I have two, three horses at that level and some nice ones coming up behind them. And, you know, I just want to keep getting better and being successful. And there's there's good money classes over here nationally. So that's a big difference, I guess. You know, we can jump a $25,000 meter 40, 45 Grand Prix it, without it having to be FEI, it's just national. Whereas wow, that's in the UK, I don't think I think that kind of money would be like FEI stuff. Yeah, um, I remember being at like a riding club show up up at the Royal Windsor, and I ended up winning where I went to Kentucky, where we yeah. saw you over in Kentucky, where I won that trip. And I remember the show jumpers had just gone in like the main arena at Windsor and come out like a winner come out. And I remember some I can't remember who won it. But he turned around, fucking hell, that's a better prize than what I won. And I was like a 13-year-old <laughs> child that just won a trip to Kentucky. And he's come out and won like 1,500 pounds. That's not a... For, what, what age did you end up winning at that? Um, 13. Yeah, 13. I, I must have been like, I was really young. 13. It was a long time ago now. But the only thing we I've ever won is... We <laughs> Yeah, I, I, was, was, I was so young. I might have been even was, younger, 11. Wasn't it when it was the World Equestrian Games there? In yeah, in Kentucky, yeah. So was whenever that, I think that, that might have been that might have was 08, I think, 2008, 2009. The World Equestrian Games. Why does it feel like I can picture you on a horse with a sword? <laughs> it's almost like gladiators <laughs> fight to the death. That's the vision I've got. For it's it. far from it, mate. It's far from it. But, yeah, that yeah, no. interesting though. <laughs> <laughs> might get more viewings, to be honest. I mean, I don't see that. A couple <laughs> of bevs down me, Burger Man. That is a proper Saturday out. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they have that in Florida. Uh, I think they call it like medieval knights or something. They have all their uh, n- people dressed up as knights on horses and swords and stuff. So uh, 
and I think you sit around and have dinner and watch it. So uh, you can come out to Florida. <laughs> there we go. That, that's my plan. Already. There's some so. weird things out in America. Yeah, do you remember when I uh, uh, Red Hills when I kept trying to make you eat like weird stuff that they had? Like I tried to make him eat fried alligator. <laughs> Oh yeah, fried, it was a fried alligator tail or something, wasn't it? Oh my yeah, god, it's awful. It's absolutely and awful. Then, it was absolutely and awful. boiled peanuts. Yeah, it was absolutely terrible, absolutely terrible. Yeah. And then every pla- like place you went to, it was my birthday. So then you get out like the, the rodeo seat, literally announced it's an old restaurant and I'm getting embarrassed in front of everyone. Oh, yeah. it was, oh it's awful. I brought like awful. a big saddle out and they're like, everyone in the restaurant. Today is Josh's <laughs> birthday. And they're like, get in the saddle. And he's like, no. <laughs> I don't think I have that on video it. still. Yeah, I think you do. I think you do. Post I'm pretty sure I have that on video. Yeah. Post it for the world to see. <laughs> I think you did. I'm sure you did put it on Facebook, to be honest. And also, I still remember that time we, when we went, was it uh, Dakota Beach? Daytona. Daytona Beach. Well, and we yes. were down there and we had like all the bikers. So like, like it was bike week, wasn't it? Or something at the same bike time. <laughs> yeah, it's bike week. So you had like the bikers with all the beards and everything. Like it looked like they were stabbing something. Right. But it was also spring break. So you had like college <laughs> kids passed out on the beach around surrounded by bikers. It was the craziest experience of my yeah, life. It was and, then and then we're walking back and I was like adamant I wanted to get a tattoo. And I think we were between the choice of being going to a strip club for the tattoo. And it was like, I can't remember what it was called. The strip club was called like something like something and the fat one. Something oh, and the fat yeah. one. Yeah. It was on the sign. We have everything, a blonde one and a, and a fat one. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, yeah. Just taking it back um, to the full, because I'm, I'm nosy and I, I'm, I'm inquisitive about fatness work. Um, is that quite a common thing, like for that level of damage? Or that is it common that a fall of that significance happens to riders? Because I'm like, if it was me and I was riding, that would discourage me from ever getting back on a horse. And just hearing how positive and happy you are, and how well yeah. you you've done for yourself, is such a testament to to your character. And it's so yeah. fascinating to me that there is a level of grit mentally within this industry that people have to yes. be able to get back on a horse after suffering something that's so serious that you did. Yeah. I mean, I, it happens. Like, it's not, I wouldn't call it common, but, you know, people get hurt badly. Sometimes people die. But, um, you know, it happens. And you, I do think you're right. There's a certain grit in the industry and, you know, obviously some people would be like, yeah, now I'm done. But sort of when you're at that level and you've worked your whole life for it, like... It's all you know, you isn't know. it? So Yeah, it's good. you're right. It's what mm. you know. Yeah. So it's probably, I mean, it's hard to compare it to anything. But I guess like in football, if, you know, you had like a really, really bad injury, I don't know whether it would like deter someone from playing football anymore. Or I guess it's not really a fear factor there. But... I don't know, maybe like motorbike racing or something or car yeah. racing, I suppose. You know, when they crash their cars on the NASCAR and, you know, I look at that and I'm like, oh my God, your car's on fire and you're not going to get out. And then they're like, oh, I'm ready for my race next week. It's kind of, I suppose, the same thing. Like they know it's their thing and it's what they know. 
was there a moment for you where you thought that is me done um i can't do this anymore uh for the eventing yes but it i don't it never occurred to me to not do the horses that, that is it's, that's amazing i i had a um very different instant when i was younger i'm not getting quite a uh, bit quite badly by a dog and um it took me a while to even just like being in the presence of the animal was yep. a bit of a uh, a moment now I, I absolutely love dogs have done my whole life yeah um, and i imagine that's almost the same for you like it's that love of a, a of a horse right. that being around them and their their atmosphere that they bring that you almost okay well horse didn't plan to fuck me up today it was yeah. a situation that happened and yeah. the long-term bond and communication you have between human and animal is is, is right. amazing yeah i mean would i have gotten back on the same horse and gone and jumped that same jump again ever no <laughs> not nah. gonna do that <clears throat> but i don't have to there's other ways have you have you revisited at all where where it happened no, I haven't actually, because, um, I mean, it was far enough away that I don't need to go there. Like, Chris yeah. actually has been there a couple times, because uh, Chris is a, a show jumping course designer, so he designs all around the country, and he's actually designed the show jumping there a few times, so he's kind of been there, and, you know, he he wasn't there for the fall, but, he, you know, he's kind of always, like, a little bit weird about it, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. But I'm kind of... Not past it. I mean, it will be a part of me, obviously, but I'm sort of at that point where it's, and Josh probably understands, like, you don't think about it and get angry or upset or worried or anxious or anything about it now. It just kind of was a part of something that happened and, you know, kind of built on what I am now, you know. Was was there anything that... Um Excuse me if I phrase this right. Is there anything that you could have done differently to prevent that? Now, I because I don't know how you control a horse. Yeah. I've only really recently seen you in the sand box, sand, sand school, sand school. Close, close working on the phrase yeah. and yeah. the terminology. And like you was, um, I was with you, uh, Josh, last week. You saying, right, I'll lean this way and I'll swing the horse that way and it'll <laughs> do this and it'll do that. I'm like. Mate, I don't think you're doing anything. He was like, No, you don't actually understand. I'm actually kicking with this side and I'm moving it with that side. It's normal to me. <laughs> so, was there anything that you could have, looking back on it, that you could have done differently? Or was it one of those just freak accidents where the horses? Yeah, I mean, I think. Comes out? Look, I think there were some holes in my training. Like, I think there was that in high, like, but you know, that sort of is sort of where I was at at that time. I do think yeah. after the fall, I rode with a different trainer who really helped me with my confidence and really kind of highlighted those holes in my training and, you know, things that shouldn't have been there for me to go that level. Um, so I do think that was something, you know, it was obvious I could have chosen not to leave the start box. Um, I was feeling a lot of anxiety a lot of pressure to go um but ultimately i was the one that made the decision to leave the start box um yeah. so you know i think there's many things leading up to it that could have been different um so i guess 
really you've touched on a really important subject there was more your support team around you as well that's yes. how important the right team of people and I think it's like you learn it as you go on like yeah yeah, yeah with, definitely of course like even now like with trainers owners the whole process so important having those right people around you because yep. you don't that things go wrong is it not much responsibility on the trainer if there are holes in your ability at the moment and they're putting you in situations that you they potentially deem that you're not ready or competent or whatever to do is there not a level of responsibility on the trainer to go actually it's my job to say no i'm what you'd like, I guess you'd like to think so there is yep but maybe they don't see that those holes are there where other trainers do or it takes something like this to yeah yeah, highlight the problems and i guess again just because someone's a very good rider doesn't mean they're a good trainer it's two completely different things right okay yeah maybe someone's not a good rider but they could be the most amazing trainer because they've got an eye or maybe they're crap but both yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. <laughs> very true, that's very true. <laughs> I was going to say, Josh, and throw you under, but no, he's the best. That's <laughs> because you're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I guess it's no different to, to football. You could be a, a great football player, um, and some people then try to go into managing, and it, it's it's not really for them. It's a, it's a yeah. different, like, really, training now isn't just training you and the horse, it's the, like, the help behind the scenes, making sure you're in the right mindset. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's, it's mentoring, basically, and they either sign up for that and they do it properly or they don't, and unfortunately. Are they, do they just train sort of like you and the horse, or is there an element of training your mindset? I think the biggest thing I've learned, and I'll be interested to see, hear, hear what Just thinks as well, is I may not train with the best trainer now, but I train with someone that works for me as a person. And yep. we're on the same page. That's all I want from a trainer. They do yep. not have to be the best trainer in the country because the best trainer in the country may not put me in the right mindset or be the right type of person for me. I just go with the trainer that I know. I can call them and I can talk to them for an hour. Or if I've got any problems, they're always going to be fighting my corner. And I think yep. sometimes you have a lot of people with ulterior motive, ulterior motive sorry. And yeah. I, I've definitely found that. And I guess we're just with. 10, 10 more years in the business than me yeah. will know a lot yeah. more about than I do. No, that's, I mean, yeah, lots of trainers are different. Like, you know, some you're just a paycheck to. And I mean, I don't think I've had any like that, but like you said, some have an ulterior motive. They want you to get to the highest level uh, as quickly as possible. So that can be on their resume. You know, they've got this many riders to this level. So that makes you're them disposable. Yeah, a little bit, and you know, You're almost a what, number in a way, rather than a person and a, and a horse. What can a you do for them? Whereas others, like you know, also others have like their training program, and this is how it is, and you fit within that. Whereas others, you know, will look at each horse and rider and like work their training program around them specifically. You know, not everyone's the same. Not everyone works in the same box. You know, you have to change things a little bit for people. Um, so I think that's important and, and, you know, recognizing, you know, the, the human beings, the students, you know, like, you know, we do get nervous or, you know, whatever. And I, I don't know. I think some trainers just kind of think that you can be robotic about it. Like they can sometimes, if that makes sense. And has and, this now impacted the way you train people? 
Uh, or, or from your experiences, that was good and bad. Yeah, I mean, I, every experience I have, I can kind of offer to other people. Well, not that I want to offer, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like <laughs> yeah. I can, I can offer the knowledge that I've gained from every experience I have to other people. Just punch them dead in the face and go right. That's what it feels like to have a horse fall, and you get used to it. You'll be fine now. <laughs> Absolutely. down and drop some bricks on them. <laughs> <Like there you laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a bathtub with water yeah. yeah welcome to the industry yeah <laughs> is with, with training um for the the younger people that get involved is there i'm sort of i don't know why i'm making a, a mental comparison to to ballet almost there that it's very um strict um, yes. there's a lot of hard work that goes into it and the discipline behind it um there's a line that a teacher almost sort of goes into a gray area with how far they push a student, especially from a young age to, to install yep. that. Is, am I correct in saying, is that something that is in the industry? Is no, that, that's, I've seen that a lot. I've seen that, you know, like there's different ways of teaching, you know, I've seen, you know, there's some trainers that I see and know that are like aggressive and like they'll stand swearing at students in the warm-up tell them they're fucking useless and why am I even here and like it's like I don't I wouldn't want to train with that you know like you know some trainers like to tear people down so they're the ones to bring them back up again you know it everyone has a mind games almost isn't it it's totally mind games and then they build this little kind of (laughs) cult of people around them that are so reliant on them and don't think there's anything else out there um you know I think some trainers of a trainer I have right now is great he's very strict I mean not very strict he's personable but firm in that you know like he's not going to just let me get away with doing stupid shit um you know if I jump around I'll come out and you know tell me what was great about it and tell me what was not great about it and you know there's just no gray area it's just know. a relationship that's got to work both ways yep. isn't it and i guess the exactly. best way to best way to sum up sum that up really is you need a trainer that you're not reliant on <laughs> like i think when a trainer makes you reliant on them that's the yes. problem you need that's a trainer it. and that's it in a nutshell mm. and that's that's a little i think that's a bit the how the american industry is like trainers like to own their clients like no you can't go and take this clinic with this person no you're not allowed to go and take a lesson like i think they own them because they're afraid that someone else is going to be better than them mm. um, but I, and we do have that in the uk as well right. definitely is i think that's i don't know maybe how the industry works i think there's probably a lot of yeah. similarities in different industries too and i think maybe it's the way people work it's that element of jealousy and control that people sort of use and when you get to a certain level, you've got that power, haven't you? If you're top, top rider, yeah. you, you, you've then got a standing in the industry, haven't you? And I get it. There's like loyalty. Obviously, you want someone to be loyal to you. And it's, I think, much better to ride with someone consistently so they know you and your horse and your quirks and what you need and all that stuff. But, you know, when it gets to the point of someone owning you and telling you what you can and can't do, then I think it becomes a problem. It's almost like a toxic relationship, really. In a it way, really, it is. It, it really is. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, and there's so many. There's there's not so many. That's not fair. But just being at the shows and kind of seeing it and even knowing people, you know, you're like, 
How do you deal with that? Can you pick it out in some people's tech, like styles of riding? Can you see someone riding and going, they've definitely been trained in a certain way? Yeah, definitely. I think what I see yeah. it a lot is, um, you've got, again, this goes back to the way trainers teach, is do they make you like them, ride exactly like them, or do they make you the best you? And I think that's a big yeah. problem we have yeah. over here. Yeah. For example, I'm not going to ride like a mill. So a mill for a um, like international dress-up rider. So he can't train me to ride like him because I'll never ride like him, no matter how hard I try. But he can make me the better me. And I think yeah. a lot of trainers go wrong in that aspect. Yeah. So that yeah. sounds like the right ethos to have is to, to make you the best you, not to replicate what's already yeah, done. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, sometimes you can see it where it's almost like that spitting image of this top rider, and you can right, see it from okay, the way it's style, and you're yeah. like. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it is quite not funny. In a good way. Some people say I've played more like Messi, but hmm. <laughs> I'm just the best mate. <laughs> and then again, just like, again, for me, um, a big learning curve that I've had is dealing and managing with owners. And I guess, <laughs> yeah, yeah. again, for you, like I've had lost owners like you do, um, just the pressure and stress they put you under. And I guess a big moment that I talk about a lot is when I was competing against myself for the first time. I had two horses in the class and had two set owners. And I remember going down the set line thinking, no matter what I do today, someone's You're never going to win. You're not going to keep everyone happy. Exactly. Exactly. And I remember like, why am I actually doing that? And that was probably, again, probably five years ago or something now. Um, But And I guess really like, how have you found dealing with that stress and pressure? Because... My God, I, I'm doing. I'm not doing it at the level that you are. You are. Yeah. Um. I mean, right now, I don't necessarily have owners. Like a couple of my horses are syndicated. Um. But in the past, when I've had owners, I mean, I guess I was lucky in that the ones that were competing against each other, the owners themselves weren't necessarily competitive against each other if that makes sense um but yeah the pressure and you know them always you always feeling like they own you as well you know because if you upset them then you might lose the horse or whatever you know they have so much control over you you know um the horse I had my bad fall on you know he had an owner and um she ultimately gave him to someone else which was totally the best thing that ever could have happened um but you know that would have really sucked had i wanted the horse after that yeah. you know yeah exactly exactly but yeah you're totally under their kind of but i think you've also got to find a way to not be under their control and just sort of be like okay well this is how it is and this is how we do it and you know again i'm in a place where I can be picky about who I want to have on board. And like, I've certainly turned people down because I don't want to be involved with them and I don't want the stress. No, no, I just want to, uh, it comes back down to just being happy really, doesn't it? And doing yep. it for the reason that you started doing yep. it initially. Um, and yeah. again, for me now, I'm in the same situation. If I've got the owners that I do and they're fantastic and that's that. And I will not mm-hmm. do any more than that because <laughs> like all it takes is one negative person and around sure. you and then it brings everything and everybody down and we talk about that a lot in life yeah. but um it's like you say it's that control element that they they use that they have that power over you to, to control yeah. everything you do 
right because having one the right thing, of course is important exactly one thing that you um you mentioned earlier and i've not been able to stop thinking about it because i've done okay. like, really bizarre like <laughs> imagery of it importing and selling horses because this is what what part of the your business that you go and, and do mm-hmm. yeah justine how the fuck do you import a horse asking for a friend <laughs> <laughs> Well, they get on a plane and they come over here. Basically. Is that it? They just get on a yeah, plane and then. Yeah. That's I mean, they that don't must be a big customs the, form. They don't sit in the departures lounge and like <laughs> on the plane and sit in their seat. <laughs> um, no, there's a lot. Actually, uh, my friend slash partner, I guess in the UK, Kate Tarrant, she deals with all that side of things for me. Um, but um, there's certain, obviously, companies that fly the horses and you know they know all the forms and the blood that needs to be done and you know Kate's done it many times so she knows the whole process and then they have to get here and we have another company we deal with that deals with all the everything this end the quarantine and you know them arriving and then them getting from the quarantine to us so it's quite a lot of steps that have to be done but um again I'm lucky to have Kate doing everything in the UK and kind of yeah. really good companies that we've dealt with for years over there do they all come like right okay next tuesday we've got a cargo plane going out we can take seven horses or does one lucky horse get a full plane to itself and then <laughs> it's like no, a first class experience typically they travel in crates of three so you essentially would pay for a third of a crate now if you wanted your horse to have a whole crate then you would pay for that entire crate are you telling me there are horse upgrades <laughs> Essentially, yes, yeah, there are. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, there is too much money in this fucking industry. Our horse can go economy. No, fuck that. Like my business. That's actually amazing. That's a great summary of the They should be telling yeah. me they get fucking washbacks. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, you could have the whole crate or, I mean, we always pay for a third. I mean, why would you pay for the whole thing? Hmm. Um, And then, yeah, they show up and sit in quarantine and hopefully, uh, the thing is, if one horse on the flight has tested positive for something in their blood, then uh, once they get to the U.S., then the entire flight will have to quarantine for whatever period of time, another two weeks, at the cost of each owner. So this actually just happened to a friend of mine. She imported something, and then one of the horses on the flight tested positive for glanders, which is actually a disease that is eradicated in Europe. But there's something about the testing protocol in Europe, and like it tested negative in Europe, and it was maybe inconclusive in the US, but... Long story short, that whole flight has had to uh, quarantine for two weeks and my friend's getting charged $300 a day for her horse standing in quarantine for two weeks. Oh, my Yeah. So that kind of sucks. You'd be pissed if you was one of the other owners that yeah, had a horse on that yeah. flight. Well, she's one of the other owners. Yeah, yeah, you'd be pissed. That's, that's, that's mental. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, is, there, then, is there like a specific place that horses bred are best imported from uh not really i mean ours all get imported to new york and miami 
Um, I think they actually fly out of um, Liège, um, or they can fly out of uh, Amsterdam, maybe. Um, but yeah, they always they don't fly out of England. They kind of go to Europe first and then fly. Wow, that is mental. So, where do you see everything with the training? With the importing, where do you see it all going in the next five years? Uh, where do I you don't... see Justine Dutton five years from now? Pinnacle. <laughs> Married yet? Uh, Married on the cards? Yeah, at some point. Yeah. yeah. American yeah. wedding. The Brits will crash it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, everyone's, we'll probably have it in like Miami or Vegas. So. <laughs> 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 do you know what I reserve a comment but I do want to be reserved on the list <laughs> <laughs> yeah the girlfriend I can't take you we'll have a better time <laughs> said that I, I am sorry <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I don't know in five years I'd hope to be still doing what I'm doing and being successful and maybe you know jumping some bigger classes and uh, yeah I don't have any, you know, maybe one day down the road if I maybe I'd make it onto a Nations Cup jumping team. I don't know. Like, that, is that my ultimate goal? Not necessarily, but if I ended up being good enough or having good enough horses, then it's certainly something I could aim for. Um, Which, would you yeah. be the first Brit, Brit to do that? Would you be the first Brit to keep, compete on the event in the Nations Cup team? And, no. Um, no? Uh, I don't think so. Ah. Uh, uh, I don't know the answer to that question, actually, because there's certainly Germans that have done that and certainly Americans. I don't know about that. Maybe you might be the first Brit. That would be insane. That would be amazing. Yeah. Can we, um, I'm going to end it slightly differently. Okay. Interesting. Um, instead of asking the same question, I'm going yeah. to slightly adjust it. How would you like to be remembered, Justine? What, when I'm dead? When you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> long and gone how would you like to be remembered you mean like remembered like after this interview or when I'm dead <laughs> <laughs> when you're dead let's go morbid but also positive okay. at the same time uh, I don't know like someone that was fun and happy and successful I guess yeah I don't really have anything more interesting. Than no, that. no, sometimes that's just the best way to be. Nice I mean, simple. I don't want to be remembered as some like weird drug addict or something. Not that I am. <laughs> I was going to say, Justin, are you a weird drug addict? <laughs> you know, or some crazy cat lady or something. <laughs> we yeah, don't have just cats. Just sit with either. the crazy horse lady. That's fine. No, that'll do. Justin. It has been an absolute pleasure to be involved in this family reunion. Uh, <laughs> and, I was going to uh, say, it's literally the first time that I've seen you maybe, what, in four years? Well, not even seen you. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. It's crazy. It's fun. We're flying out there next year the minute the, uh, the restrictions are relaxed. Oh, you are? Because there's, there's a big old farm I want to see. And my, it sounds a hell... I'm going down to Daytona Beach, baby. I've got a Vegas, a Vegas wedding. <laughs> I've got my whole 2021 calendar booked up in an hour session of an interview. I love it. <laughs> we just have to make sure we tell everyone it's his birthday in every restaurant. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Well, now I'm 24, it'll be a lot better for me because I can drink and actually do what I want. I've never oh, yeah, when, you were, when you were 18, every place we went, you'd try and get a drink. And I'd be like, Josh, 
they are really strict. They ask for ID everywhere. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. Every restaurant. <laughs> oh, can I have a beer? They'd be like, where's your ID? Oh, uh, I'm I, British. I, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was drinking vodka in a park at 12. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's been amazing. And um, we just want to say to everyone listening, thank you uh, for the support we've had for the launch, um, especially to our American brothers and sisters have absolutely killed it <laughs> on the first week of sales that we've absolutely had to incorporate international sales. Um, and it's just a real mind-blowing experience. Yeah. Alpha Classic, Alpha Street, now on sale, www.halfstepquestion.com. We love it. Get that little, uh, little plug in there. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Justine, thank you for being on. And um, yeah, Tools and Horses, Amazing. out.